Mike Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. Today's episode is with comedian Aaron Woodall. It was great to finally have a chance to sit down and talk with Aaron. Uh, Previous to this episode, I had only met Aaron uh, briefly in passing a few times, and we had competed against each other um, in in a radio host competition that uh, that both of us ended up losing. Uh, So it was great to kind of sit down and uh, and be able to learn more about Aaron. Uh, I've always seen him listed on so many great comedy shows in Salt Lake City, and I was intrigued to to learn more about him. Uh, Billy Anderson and Mike Masolotti, when they were on the podcast uh, after we'd finished recording, had suggested to me uh, that I have Aaron on. Uh, He'd been going um, out on tour with them for the the Gateway show. And so it was a lot of fun to be able to talk with him and learn a little bit more about how he came up at Humor U down at Brigham Young University in Provo and kind of where he's at now and kind of the evolution of comedy. It was a great talk about comedy. I always love being able to pick other comedians' brains um, and kind of learn, you know, their process of developing their sets and writing and, and kind of what makes them tick and that was a lot of what this episode was about and it was just a great conversation with Aaron and yeah it was cool to get to know him like I said we'd only met in passing uh, a few times previous um, and, and barely even enough to really say we met I think we knew of each other and that was really that was really about it um, but yeah it was it was great talking to him and, and he's now somebody I consider a friend I, I really enjoyed Aaron and I hope all you guys get out and see him like I said you know he has been um, going around uh, on some of the tour dates for the Gateway Show, um, so make sure you look for them on those. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Gateway Show or you have not listened to the episode of Billy Anderson and Mike Mazzalotti, uh, essentially what it is, they uh, they bring out comedians, they do a set, they have an intermission, get them just stoned as fuck, <laughs> and then from there they bring them back out and they do a new set, and Aaron talks about how that actually helped him improve as a comedian, <laughs> so it was really funny to kind of hear his take on that and where he came from, uh, you know, starting as a comic. So I really hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Aaron. It was a great time. Make sure to check him out and follow him on all the links that I'll have up on the site so that you can see when he's performing in a city near you. Thank you to everybody that tuned in the other night for our live stream of the Justice League Red Carpet premiere. I hope you guys you know, had some fun there seeing the interviews with Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, uh, Jason Momoa, J.K. Simmons, you know, just, just to name a few. Uh, you know, it was a really fun time. So hope you guys enjoyed that and had some fun with that. Um, as well as um, the last episode we posted uh, with Sam Pollard uh, talking about the documentary Maynard. I've had a lot of great responses from that. And so I really hope you guys get out there and see that. Uh, it was a fantastic documentary that I just absolutely loved and a story that I feel like everybody should, should have a chance to know. Again, it's one of those that's left out of the history books. And I really feel like everybody should know the story of Maynard Jackson. So please get out there and see Maynard uh, if it's playing in a town near you. Again, that was the last episode. You can go to onthemicpodcast.com. You can find the links there. Um, for that documentary and be able to see uh, see the showtimes um, and the, uh, the theaters that it will be playing. Again, thank you to Aaron Woodall. This is actually the last episode that I recorded in Salt Lake City before we moved the show to Los Angeles. Uh, so this episode's kind of bittersweet, actually. Had already packed up all of our podcasting gear and then we're able to squeeze Aaron in at the last minute. Um, and so quickly broke it all out so that we could do this. Uh, the studio room was basically stripped down to the bone, so there was nothing up. I mean, you've heard on the episodes and seen the pictures, you know, on the website of, you know, how done up the, the room was with posters and toys and all of that, and it was barren. So Aaron didn't get to quite enjoy what other what other guests have talked about on the episode. It was just a white room at that point. It was felt kind of sterile, but yeah, it was a, it was a good time. And again, you know, thank you to Aaron Woodall for taking the time uh, to come over and, and be on the podcast. And again, please make sure you go follow him on all the links up on the site and go see him perform uh, when he's in your city. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Aaron Woodall. 
because <laughs> there, there's no format to this. It's just nothing. Just you no, do any opening. No, it's, I record an intro. Okay. So, but no, we just jump into it. We keep it as loose and, and casual as a as we can. Okay. So I, I don't know if you actually remember this. I think the last time I saw you was at Mix One Hundred Five. Oh yeah, when we for, were doing the yeah for that contest. Uh huh. So that uh, that neither of us won. So <laughs> I uh, was I was moving along in that thing, and uh, my wife left me, and I stopped responding to their emails. Oh no! <laughs> I felt really bad. I was enjoying it. I loved it. I loved the idea of being on the radio and stuff, and I felt like I was making connections with people there yeah. that I could use uh, for like just to promote myself through promote my stand up, you know. And then I. Uh, I am too embarrassed to like talk to anyone there because I just I just totally <laughs> left them hanging. I was like, nah, I don't feel like responding to emails. Yeah, well, that's a lot to have to go through when you're trying to like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the it, emotional punch it takes to have to go through something like that in a relationship, and then to try to be on air and be like, everything's okay. <laughs> Before we even got to being on air, like I couldn't respond to an email. Like I couldn't even like muster the strength in my fingers to be like like the emotional. Uh, capacity just to write like, hey, I actually can't do this. Sorry. I couldn't even do that. There was another job too I got offered at the same time was to uh, start writing sketches for that Studio C show. Oh, yeah. They liked me and they're like, we want to pay you a bunch of money to write sketches. I was like, that sounds great. And then my wife left and I was like, all of my sketches are just real dark and sad right now. I don't don't want to write any of your bullshit Studio C type stuff right now. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny you mentioned them because i mean i respect the hell out of what they do so i mean they they have a great a great setup but like i said to my wife after i had finished second city i was like i should just submit something to them my wife's like you don't want to write for them <laughs> i can't imagine i've had i have friends that, that write for them and like the amount of stuff that gets censored i i can't I can't even. Yeah. I was reading this article about them recently that a friend shared to me, and they were talking in that article about like a, a sketch that was about farts. And uh, it sounded so smart. They said in the sketch, because of like BYU standards, they they never say the word fart. Like they can't, they never acknowledge <laughs> it. Like, and so it's an entire sketch about farts where no one, there's no sound effects. There's nothing that's like that's like making fart noises. It's just like a. It's, it's just an innuendo on the, like, yeah, the entire just, time. Yeah, it's like James Bond uh, type parody, and he's like being like he's like held captive. You know, he's like handcuffed to a chair, and they're interrogating him, and he's farting, and and so it's just, but like there's no noise, and no one ever says what's going on. It's all innuendo and faces. So just imagine all these like these actors making these faces and stuff, and I'm like that's. Sounds brilliant. That's yeah. great. That's one of those things that, like, because of constraints, you it like forces you to, to you have make to write at a higher smart. level. Yeah, and then they wouldn't even the censors like when they presented that sketch, BYU TV was like, no, we can never put this on air. <laughs> never, not a, a sketch that doesn't even say the word fart, and there's no fart noises. It's just people talking and making faces, and they couldn't put that on the air. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I definitely would never have. My my sketch packet, I think, would have, like, it wouldn't have even made it through, like, their mail system. I think it would have, it would have just, like, caught fire, like, through through the BYU postal system. Oh, man. Uh. Yeah, that's, that's funny. So I, I know when, um, when Billy Anderson was on, 
uh, he was telling me like all the stuff with vid angel to like even record a special mm-hmm. and and all the constraints there and i was just like how do you i mean most of my comedy is fairly cleaned up i, I mean when i started like all of us have when you're first starting out everybody goes blue because they're like that'll make a laugh and then you're like oh that doesn't well, I was the play. opposite, like, because I, I started stand up at BYU. It was the first place I ever performed. Oh, really? BYU. So I started out super clean, and uh, my so my definition of clean was different. Right? Yeah. So people, when I went out to the real world and stuff, they're like, well, "Can you work clean?" I was like, "Well, you know, sort of, kind of, <laughs> I guess." I, I mean, like, I, uh, you know, I could clean. And then everyone's uh, like, they would hear me at my acting, like, "You're the cleanest act we've ever heard. Why did you like him and Hall?" <laughs> And I was like, well, because I said darn and because uh, I, <laughs> I said fart, you know, like I, in my mind, I was this I was a dirty comedian. Yeah. And then I found out like I was squeaky clean, <laughs> squeaky clean. But the stuff that they thought was squeaky clean wouldn't fly at BYU. That is so funny. So were, were you down there with, when uh, Abby Harrison was down there? Sort of. Not really. Uh, I came in the generation after her. So, like, she was pretty much completely done with Humor You uh, by the time I started. But okay. she had just finished. So there was, like, a little bit of overlap there. Okay. So, yeah, that's Abby's one of the few that I usually associate with that BYU comedy scene that has now gone very far from the, yeah. <laughs> the BYU comedy scene. Yeah. And now I've I've gone very far <laughs> as well, man. The divorce changed me, changed my whole act, and it just like opened up uh, this. It's it's been fantastic. I mean, like I was already getting dirtier before then, but then like uh, I don't know, it just clicked something. I liked. I always liked being mad in my comedy. Like yeah. I loved yelling. I always loved yelling on stage, but I would yell about like Harry Potter's dumb, <laughs> and I would go on just giant rants about Harry Potter. And now it was like suddenly I had something like worthy of right. of rage and uh so like the divorce jokes i started writing were just so raw and just mean and uh and yeah laced with expletives and, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it worked you know it was it's, it's and, the, and of course and of course touring around with the gateway show kind of mm-hmm. uh kind of brings things away from the from gateway the show is the image. first <laughs> billy anderson's the first uh guy ever that ever got me high uh the first time i ever got high was for his show it was like for a show uh if you if listeners don't know the gateway show is uh it's uh it's created and produced by billy anderson and uh it's wildly successful it's going all over the country uh but it's uh like four comedians perform like a seven minute set then there's an intermission in which the comedians get incredibly high yeah and then they come back and they have to perform another set and so the very first time i ever got high i got a high in front of hundreds of people and like had to <laughs> perform and everyone thinks it's like oh well that's got to be awful and it wasn't it was the best it was like i felt so alive on that stage and i was like i only i want to perform like this forever and i got billy brought me back uh, cuz he likes me I you guess. Did, yeah you did several shows on I've the tour i did several you? of them uh, uh, in different states and stuff because they, I think they really love the, the like the Virgin Mormon, the, you know, like, you know, kind of thing. We're like, yeah. if, I get, if, if I get to tell jokes about being Mormon and then I go get real high and stuff, like it's it's interesting for the right. crowd. So uh, I think that's why he's brought me back so many times. But like, it's really impacted how I perform 
uh, always now. Like I just, I've taken so many lessons from performing high. There's so much stuff that I like about myself high that I'm like, I should be doing this every time I'm on stage. I should like, number one, I'm a fast, I go fast and I'm anxious and I talk fast and stuff and weed slows me down, (laughs) slows me down. And it's perfect. I think if I was already like a, like a, a, a slower paced comedian, it would be awful. But like weed brings me into that sweet spot. I was high in Boise one time, real high before a show and uh i had this moment where i told a joke and i just got a huge laugh and i was still just like waiting and i just paused which i don't do very well i usually just like step on the laughs and keep going and i just let them just i just let them laugh and laugh and laugh until they were done and then i still said nothing and it was just quiet for a while (laughs) and then someone else started laughing and then everyone in the whole room started laughing again and i was just like it was this epiphany. Where I was like, I got two giant laughs out of one joke. Like all I did, all I did was sit there and say yeah. nothing, and I got more laughs out of it. And I was like, I should be doing this every <laughs> time. Like you need to slow the hell down. Give people a chance to laugh. Right. Know? Yeah. That that was the one thing. Whenever my wife would come and see me do an open mic or anything, she'd be like, Yeah, you just you you rush through it. You're not. You're never pacing yourself. And she's like, it. You, you get the laughs, but then sometimes you'll hit the laugh, and then you just quit. You just yeah, trample right over it and and ignore it. And then I started noticing that about myself, and I started recording my sets all the time. And I was like, oh yeah, I just blew right through that. So, but like with with weed, at least for me, it just it calms my anxiety because mm-hmm. I have insanely high anxiety. Yeah. But I have such a high tolerance for everything that it doesn't ever like actually get me like to a stoned state or anything. Man, do the gateway show with Billy. He'll get you so stoned. He brings in so much stuff, man. It's nuts. Um, the one of the last shows I did with him was in Vegas, and this this our sponsor because it gets like a sponsor in every yeah. city. The sponsor brought this dab rig, which I had never encountered before. And I did like, I think I did like half of one. Oh, shit. That's all that I did. And I was just like, I knew immediately. I was like, I'm fine. (laughs) I am so stoned right now. Like, I don't need any more. I went on stage without a shirt in that show. I just came out. (laughs) uh, But no, uh, the both times that I've gotten so high, like where I was like too high, where I was like, this isn't fun anymore. I threw up both times. Uh, <laughs> they were both with Billy uh, after a, after a gateway show. Um, right, but for me, for talking over myself, like or for talking going too fast, is because I really want it to feel natural. Yeah, and I don't, especially like as I uh, said, I'm like a like I like to rant on stage, and it feels so unnatural to pause my rant to allow everyone to laugh. You know, and I feel like, oh, right, well, then this is going to feel fake and it's not going to feel natural anymore. It's going to feel really rehearsed. So people aren't going to like it as much, you know, and I, I want it to feel so like off the cuff natural. Why would I stop here and pause for a laugh? And that's always what I used to think. Uh, and now I'm trying to find uh, I'm trying to find ways to pause while still letting it feel natural. You know, I'm trying to find ways where I just am like so exasperated that I have to just like rub my temples for a second yeah. and just like, <sighs> and I'll just get big laughs out of that, you know, and, uh, and let that die down and then start up again. So it's, it's funny that it took, you know, go, going out and getting high on a show though, to like 
be able to kind of pull you out and be like, oh, this is what this is what I need to fix. And yeah, man. Uh, other stuff too, like I loved my my I don't know improv instincts while I was high. Like I use used to be very rigid in my I'd have a memorized set list and I'm gonna do all these jokes, boom, 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 and I'm gonna do them in this order. Um, and weed would just like it would it would just let me excuse me it would let me uh, trust these instincts and I would just follow them. I would just take I would just like take a detour. Someone would say something or do something, and I would just start making fun of that person, and it would take me on this other this yeah. other route, and I would just like come across jokes so much more naturally that it, like which is what my goal was this whole time was to make it feel spontaneous and stuff, and I never did that until I got high, and that really like uh, opened me up, and now it's something that I'm striving for on stage where I don't go on stage with rigid set lists anymore. I try to just make it more conversational and follow these leads whenever they come up, you know? Yeah. That, that's something that I, I, I almost started trying to do that way too early, but it just, it's what felt comfortable to mm -hmm. me. Cause it was just like when I would have that rigid set list in my head where I was just like, all right, these are the ones I'm going to do. That's where I would just rush through it because in my head, I'd be like, check, did that one check Did that one? But if I could get like a reaction from a joke out of something, and be able to like turn around and talk to the person I heard that for like even a minute. It's like that always felt supernatural to me and not supernatural, but very natural. <laughs> there was no, there was no type of ghost <laughs> instinct to that, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good feeling, but yeah, it's, it's hard to be able to get used to doing that, especially when you're used to just having that. This is my set list. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I like what you said about too early because I do, Think, I look at all my progress I've made as a comedian, and I'm actually really happy with. I mean, there's if I if there's one thing I could change, the only thing that I want to change is I wish I'd had more confidence earlier yeah. on. That I just been more confident, but I don't know how to do that without experience. I don't know what the switch is that when I meet someone who's like confident and loves themselves, I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> who are you? How did you get to be this way? But I feel like everything else that I did, even though when I look back and I think about how shitty of a comedian I was um, I love the path that I took humor you is just all mechanics man like and so I started out at BYU just learning how to write jokes right. I didn't tell them particularly well and they weren't very interesting jokes but like I was learning all the mechanics of joke telling I don't think that I could have riffed the way I do in my first few years like I just I was scared of it but I also don't think that I was good enough to do it and now it's like I've built up I've got you know six years of experience now I I've performed so many times that like I know how to to make stuff funny and like now I'm riffing more uh because I'm more comfortable you know and I just wonder like I feel like if I had tried this earlier would I have even been good at it I don't yeah. think I think I probably would have tried and just bombed every time that I tried <laughs> to just be loose with the audience, you know? Uh, but now like jokes come so naturally to me. Like I understand how to turn something into a punchline that I can just take anything that the yeah. crowd's giving me and go in that direction with it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the pathway that I went to. And I, and I like hearing that you learned a lot from doing hum, humor you. Oh yeah. Because I know a lot of, a lot of people, especially, you know, standups in our, in, in this very area, that, you know, quickly turn their nose up at the idea of taking any type of comedy training. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you look at everybody that's out there. I mean, they've either done Second City, UCB, Groundlings. They've done that to a degree. 
And it's because it it's not so much saying, you know, we can teach you how to write a joke. None of them advertise that. It's teaching the way for you to think, to understand how to develop. And I think that's because stand-up was never my primary thing. It still isn't my primary thing. I love writing satire and building mm-hmm. things that way. But when I started, when I started got kind of going back to stand-up, I was like, oh, so much of this makes sense now. Like, now I get how to form these. And I had heard John Mulaney talk about, you know, never wasting a word. And so many comics that, like, I've learned from through different programs have been like, yeah, you just got to write everything down. Go back and listen to your set and then write your set down again. And you'll hear the ums and things like that that you do. And it was just like those little things where it's like, now I go in and I write a joke. And I'm just like, oh, I never would have written it this way. I would have done it this way. And that would have sucked. And that wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it's great to learn the mechanics of comedy writing. Yeah. And I, and I wish more people would take advantage of that instead of just being like, oh, they think they can learn how to be funny. And it's like, no, it's not what it's not what it's teaching you. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay. Like, I don't think you have to go to those classes. You do have to learn, though. Yeah. If your way of learning is just uh, going out there, hitting the road and getting on stage, if you're getting up every night, they're like, sure, you're going to learn stuff, right? Um, but uh, I don't know. There's just, there's a huge, there's a huge difference between groundlings and the dude in LA who's like offering uh, like $300 <laughs> yeah. stand up comedy exactly. course, you know? Uh, that is like I'll teach you like and then they have their graduation performance and all that bullshit yeah. they're like that's that, like at the rent the rented like room at a gas station <laughs> uh-huh. and so they, I feel like uh, when people are turning their nose up it's more like those kind of things right I think I would love I'd love to take a class I want I mean I don't think that there's a lot of stand-up like classes or, or I, I mean um, what am i trying to say i don't want to learn how to do stand-up yeah what i want is to learn how to do improv so that i can take that all those skills listen no offense i think improv comedy mostly like just most everyone who's doing it is bad at it Not oh no it's I, bad I, but I, I most agree. everyone who's doing it <laughs> is bad at it i don't want to do improv comedy but i want to learn all those skills yeah those skills and take them into stand-up because, oh my God, Rory Scoville is like a huge, huge role model, inspiration, yeah. uh, just uh, yeah, hero of mine. And I've, I've, I've gone and listened to him talk a couple of times just about his process and, and, uh, and like knowing his improv background. And I, whenever I watch him perform, I think about that. And I think, man, I want to take an improv class. I want to... Uh, get so much better at that because look how good he is on stage, you know? Yeah. Or character building. Like, I want to be better at the character that I am on stage. And I think that those kind of classes at Second City would help me do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I would just, I I would be so much better at like staying in this character and having this narrative and stuff. I, that's what I, oh, and I think, yeah, and, th- and that's the right approach to do. I mean, so many of the people that you do see that are like, oh, I'm an improv comic. Yeah, they're, they're just fucking terrible. There have been so many, especially locally, and I have no problem shitting on the local improv scene because a lot of the time, <laughs> a lot of the times people will say to me, hey, where should I go say improv? And I usually say, take I-15 for about nine hours yeah. south. <laughs> that's the thing is like, 
That's the only reason, because I've wanted to do this for a while, but there's no one in Utah that I want to learn improv yeah. from. You know, I feel like at least I want to find someone that like I would be okay hanging out with. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't even. <laughs> I'm just real rude to everyone. This improv. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but I just I'm like, nah, I don't think we would be friends. Is all. No offense. Well, it, but, it's like I had. When I the first little bit of improv I did uh, was through the groundlings, so it's like my buddy and I drove down almost four years ago exactly, and literally a there and back trip. We're like, we need to do this like big class at the groundlings. We want to get our feet wet with it, and they were shocked that we had just driven six hundred miles <laughs> for a class. And we were like, yeah, we we're, we're serious about we're serious this. We about want it, we we want to be able to do that. And beforehand, we had actually bought the UCB improv guide. Mm. and started literally reading an improv textbook but it's like it's written by matt walsh matt besser ian roberts like i was like those guys i think they know what they're doing and so it was like gaining that understanding of okay this is how you build it and then when we would go and see improv locally we're like no you're not you're not building that right yeah like there, like there is off the cuff down in cedar city those guys are actually top notch. Oh yeah, they are really, really, really good. I don't know anything about Cedar City. Yeah, they they are fantastic. Except, what's this guy's name? Lom Galuka. Does that, <laughs> does that ring a bell? That does he not does, ring a bell. He was like an old Humor U alum that went to Cedar City, and I think he was doing improv down there. So maybe he's with them. I don't know. Yeah, off the cuff is really good, but there's so many of the others around here that I'm I just, I see it and I I cringe. So, like, I, I was fortunate for a bit here because uh, Salt Lake Community College actually started an improv team uh-huh. while I was there. And the coach was a Second City alum. Oh, cool. And he just, he more or less wanted to teach theater, but he had the opportunity to – he was like, I want to try and start an improv team. And so my buddy that had gone down with me, both of us quickly were like, all right, we have to do this. It's like we made the team and then very quickly we were like, oh, this is not what we wanted. All right, so in in high school, I went to high school at Eleanor Roosevelt in uh, Greenbelt, Maryland, and it is a fantastic school. I love it. Uh, we had a drama teacher, Julie Garner, who ran an improv team, and that was the first comedy I ever did was improv. I was on the school's improv team. We did like four performances a school year, and just like this sold out auditorium, and we just thought we were the shit. <laughs> We were the funniest kids in school. We were the cool kids. And uh, I don't think we ever even did improv. Like when I look back on it now, I'm like, we were those really terrible, you know, like we were all, I think, I mean, we were all teenagers. We were performers. We were people that wanted the spotlight and stuff. And I felt like we were good at, uh, at being entertainers, but we were bad improvers. We could, I don't like for the life of us, I don't think we ever like we. I have a DVD that's like got like like one of our shows was filmed or something, and and Julie Garner put it all on this DVD for us. I still have it, and when I watch it, I'm like, "Fuck, this is bad." <laughs> At that time, though, I remember thinking like, "God, I'm the funniest person in the world." Yeah. Listen to all these people laughing from me. I'm the greatest, but we were we didn't know any of the of the building blocks. I feel like Julie tried to teach us and we were all obnoxious 16, 17 year olds and we didn't, we just wanted right. to do our own thing. And, uh, yeah, I think if I was an adult and I, uh, didn't have the awareness to realize that I was doing that, I would be <laughs> disappointed in myself. It, it's, it's funny though that you, that you say, you know, you, you guys were just there to be like, yeah, look at me. I want the last wanted attention. That's yeah. what I think the biggest problem is with bad improv is because good improv 
like I, I would tell everybody, pull up on YouTube. They have the full ASCAT performance when it was Tina Fey, uh, Amy Poehler, Andy Richter's in it. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And it's like, not once are they trying to say, look at me, here's the joke. We're trying to be funny. It's simply, this is the scene, this is the reality. And they use just the basic building blocks mm. to build that. And are, are you familiar with ASCAT that they do at UCB? No, I'm not familiar with anything. So, so ba- basically what they do is they have two two guests uh, that do a monologue and they take just like a word from the crowd and they build an entire monologue off of that word. Okay. And so after they build that, so then now the you actual say improv- monologue, it's like, like just them. Is it like, like stand up? Yeah. Okay. That, like what any late night host or anybody would okay. do All right. getting up. So if they said ham and you would just start off and just be like, ah, ham. I remember when I was a kid and we didn't have ham. And they'd come door to door to steal my ham and things like, (laughs) and you would just build a story about whatever the audience had suggested. And then from there, that's when the the improv actors tag in and they create a scene off of that monologue. Hmm. And it is just insane. But it's like that one person with that one word gave them what their premise was. The monologist, I think is how they say it. Okay. I'll trust you on that. I'm pretty sure I butchered monologous. that word. But. Monolog- monologous. Yeah. <laughs> Mono- monologous. But like they create the whole base reality of this is the story. And then they just build. And I, I remember reading UCB's book because all you ever hear about improv is, oh, it's yes and. It's yes and. Yes and. <laughs> and I remember calling uh, my friend that had been doing all this with me and just like, holy fuck, man, the light just went on. Because I got to a second part and it talks about how when you establish the base reality, you start with the yes and. And then it changes to if then. So once you've established that yes and base reality, it's, well, if this is true, then what else is true? Got it. And I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, learning so, those building blocks, it was just like, oh. And then applying that type of stuff to stand up, it's like, yeah, then you come to the character you create on stage and, well, if this is true about my character, uh-huh. and, and you just keep building it from there. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's why I want to learn all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it sounds great. Yeah, so it's not not all comedy classes are bad, but avoid the guy that the three hundred dollar right. stand up class who is probably also just doing open mics. Yeah. No, I'd absolutely so, do Groundlings or Second yeah. City if I could. Uh it's, it would be fantastic, man. The only stand up class I am semi curious to try out is Mitzi Shore runs one at the comedy store. Oh yeah? And part of me feels like it's just still kind of scammy. Well, but I'm like, it's still, or not Mitzi, it's, of course, Mitzi's the one who founded the comedy store. It's, it's one of her daughters. Okay. It's her daughter that does it. Okay. And and so I was just like, it's still learning from them and you still get to, you still get stage time at the store for the graduation. I would just never take a class in stand-up comedy. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything. Because you, you can't really learn how to do stand-up. It's a matter of. Yeah. Or, or I shouldn't say you can't learn to do stand-up. You can learn. Well, you can't be taught how to do it. Stand-up has some rules, of course, but it's just so much more freeform. I don't know. When I was first starting out Humor You, we all had like copies of like the Comedy Bible. <laughs> uh, which, the Comedian's Toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is like, here, you, you, it's like, it would tell you these basics about like, you need to have an emotion about this premise. I hate this. I love this. I'm confused by this. And then they'd be like, here's how you 
then compare it to something else. And then you have to, you flip it. And then like, like all these mechanics of a joke. And I feel like, yes, those, those, like you should, you should have a foundation of that. If you can't learn that just by watching stand right. comedy and having your own instincts, then, then check out that book from the library, read it in 60 minutes, like flip through it, like write down your notes. That's it. That's all. I feel like a, a class in stand up is just somebody teaching you their idea of stand up. Yeah. Very which true. Don't, don't like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, I think, I think, well, what's that quote about like how we all, we all imitate art in the beginning. Like before we create art, you have to just imitate the art that you like. Mm-hmm. And we all do that in stand up. Yeah. We all just like parrot things. We, we try to make our jokes sound like jokes we've heard on comedy central and stuff. So sure that happens, but like, if you get too rigid and like this is what stand up is, I, you think you're never gonna find yourself, find your own voice, and like you'll never be able to get to do the funny, weird things that when you like, you know, are turning expectations on their head and stuff. There's so many different kinds of comics out there. Man, I saw this kid at the Big Sky Festival a couple weeks ago. It's this festival in Montana yeah. that is amazing they bring in just top industry and they bring in top talent from around the country and there was this young kid from san francisco his name was nick stargue and he was doing stuff that i was like i didn't know that we could do that <laughs> like i didn't know that was allowed we can we can do that and like i this is crazy i don't want to like overhype uh i feel like he'd be embarrassed if i but i there was a moment when i was watching him perform where i was like this is how people felt when they saw Steve Martin perform where I was like, this is just, this is so weird and different and just unlike anything I was expecting to see. And I love it. It doesn't make any sense, but I love it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that that's why I feel like stand up. Don't go ever go to a stand up class, read some pointers online and, and, and jump off from there. But like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it has the same, building blocks that improv uh or sketch writing has yeah and yeah and i, I would agree with that 100 percent. The, the only thing that makes me curious with that one at the comedy store is i just want to hear what they say you from the hear- comedy store i would just i mean i'd be like i just want to hear the stories yeah of the of the like i want to hear about the house uh stuff and like, yeah the house that kinnison and all of yeah, them lived in know, yeah. just like hear people tell stories sure that's it yeah it, it, i think i think that might that might even be more of it as it's the uh it's the illusion of the comedy store it's just like i want more in depth right. tell, i mean it's romantic it's, you want to yeah. yeah we've all we've all heard about it and dreamt about it and we want to be in yeah that. sure when, when, one of the last times i was down there uh with some of the guys that usually come out on the road with me I was taking Christopher James to the um, store for the first time uh-huh. and we're getting ready to go. He puts on a fucking blazer and stuff. And I looked at him, I was like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, we're going to the comedy store. And I was like, it's a shit hole in the wall. I was like, yeah, it's a legendary place, but you don't need to get dressed up for the store. <laughs> but I love I've that he kind of had that, that reverence yeah. for it. <laughs> I've only seen Christopher in a blazer. In a blazer. <laughs> yeah, so I just feel like he's just putting on his blazer, man. He's just like, stop hassling me. This is what I, this is how I dress. That, that was kind of what, like, he was just like, fuck you, I'll wear my blazer. And then like, uh, Jesse Knight, who, who's usually with us, he looked at him and he's just like, no, no, no you're yeah, not, you're not wearing a blazer. <laughs> We're not going out with you. Uh, I feel like the, the, the comedy knowledge that you need is this all in the green room? I like meeting other comics and like people that, that stop to give me advice 
or just listening to other comics uh, like talk shop and watching other comics from the back of the room and then like asking them questions after it's like uh, that's that's the real education and I feel like I got it or I am getting it you know piece by piece like as I'm ready yeah. rather than like here's this six week course where you're going to learn everything it's just like also just stand up and I don't have experience with improv or I'm sure it's the same thing but it just takes years to get good it no, it, yeah, years it, and years to get good uh, I think no I heard Richard Lewis is ever going to give you yeah it's never if, you're not, you're not going to finish a six week course and be Bill Burr or something like yeah. that just it's gonna you need to if you're starting stand up you're like buckling up you're in for the long haul yeah. man and, and you just have to prepare to bomb your ass off like it's it's going to happen, and if you can't roll with the punches and get back up the next week or get back up, you know, whenever you're available to get back up, if you can't just keep going, you're not meant to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's something that's going to drive you back to the stage, even when you fall on your face, to be like, all right, well, it's Monday. I've got to get back over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's Wednesday. It's, it's, I've, got, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. And it's, and it's that innate drive that will eventually help you learn to write better and succeed. And I th- I think the trap that a lot of people fall into though is they they start writing they find a handful of jokes that work and they don't stray from those and nothing breaks me more than when I see people that aren't writing mm-hmm. and that are doing the same like people that I've seen do the same jokes for f- four or five years and I'm just like come on freshen it up like those jokes worked five years ago but yeah. We've all heard them now. Like, come on, br- generate more, generate more, and that like where I my Especially ultimate goal is to not changing the jokes. Yeah, man. because I feel like you can evolve with a joke, and you keep doing. You can do. I don't have any like hard rules on like. I only do a joke for this long, or like you know, I don't have anything like that. I just I tell the jokes I feel like telling. Yeah, and it's just naturally I get tired of jokes or something, but like. I had jokes that have just gotten better and better and better. And I see a tape of a joke where I'm like, oh, that joke's so much better now. Because it's just the more you... I feel like there is something to be said for repeating your material because you're just going to get better at it. But there are people that, yeah, they just tell the joke the exact same way. Yeah. Every every weekend for six years. And you're like, ah, man. Ah, that's you, man. Yeah. So Here's yeah, another that, great that, that thing joke about again. humor you. <laughs> like, I'm so grateful that I started there because we would do a show every six weeks and every show uh, had to be new material, completely new material. You had to write a new set every six weeks. And so by the time I graduated BYU, I already had so much material, so much. And I went out on the road and it all sucked. Uh, no one liked it. So I spent a, like my first year on the road was just bombing everywhere I went. And I was just so frustrated. And then like, you know, like when I, when my wife got pregnant and then when we had a kid, like I finally had some more stuff that was relatable to these older crowds that I was performing for in all these venues. And like, I finally was like, you know, anyway, so that like, it forced me to keep writing. And so like, by now I've just got, I've got so much time and it's also just different because i i did comedy out in the wild west where you're out on the, like you start featuring immediately so i'm meeting people at these festivals who i look up to and i think oh you're so cool man because they're in the big city they're in new york 
but they never they don't ever get time to do 30 minutes yeah you know they've all got like their five minutes seven minute late night set down pat and it's fantastic uh but i've just like, when people ask me like oh well, can you do 45 minutes i'm like yeah man i've got like almost three hours of material i can go into <laughs> well, I, yeah i can do 45 minutes no problem uh and that's all just from because of the the constraints or whatever like the situation that i started out in forced me to write right and so i never got to be like this is my great joke i'm gonna pull it out at every single show yeah <laughs> uh, uh because once you get that good joke like you do want to do it and like humor you wouldn't let me you i could not repeat that joke it was done it was over write a new one so i think that like if you that that's advice i would give to people starting out it's like just more more because you're not you're not going to have high quality jokes when you first start out no you are every year you're going to look back on the jokes you wrote last year and hate them all uh and like you you will hate yourself when you look back at like your first five years so just if you you're not going to have quality material go for quantity man yeah just write 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 keep writing just produce stuff man yeah, it's it's funny too because I mean even people out there now that are they have their Comedy Central specials and they have their their hours out there. They they even are sick of hearing what they did. We had, I had produced a segment with Chris Hardwick uh, when he was in town one time, and we brought him into Radio from Hell, and I was listening to Nerdist a couple weeks later, and he was talking about um, having a similar conversation that we're having and saying that yeah he's like I was on this radio show. And before I came back on air, they were playing segments from my last special. It's like I would hear those, and I was just like, oh, I don't want to hear this. And I was just like, you know, he, he's, he's kind of, you know, the, one of the kings of podcasting, and he's all over the comedy world. And he's saying, oh, I, I don't, I don't want to hear what – and it's like, that was a Comedy Central special, and he yeah. doesn't even want to hear that. And so it's like it's, it's interesting to hear guys at that level that are still like, oh, yeah, even though – this was a big special. I, I'm done with that. I don't, I don't want to hear that anymore. I'm, I'm better than that now. Yeah. I, uh, I think that once you like, the further I get into the industry and the more that I, that I see like some of the, uh, the shine fades, you know, some of the magic of like a comedy central half hour. Yeah. And then I, 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 I like people I know are doing comedy central half hours and I'm like, Oh, like anybody can do it. Yeah. And, and like, Late night sets. Oh my God. Late night. Oh, you were on late night. Oh. And then I like was recently watching a friend who is hilarious. She's a killer. Like I fell in love with her watching her on stage. I was like, I want to marry her. She's so goddamn funny. And I was like trying to show her uh, to another friend of mine. And I was like looking up and she had like this late night video. And uh, I was like watching. And I was like, oh you can bomb your late night set. <laughs> I've only ever watched like great late night. And it was like, I didn't realize I was just like, Oh shit. Like just being on Colbert or like being on Conan or, or Fallon, like doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You can still just like tell terrible jokes on Conan. If you want, you know, like, yeah. uh, it, it doesn't have the gravitas that it once did where it's like, if you went on the tonight show, like that, that was it. That was right. the, uh, your, your career was now going to take off. And it's like, for one, there's like 50 late night shows now. And so, yeah, but, but even back then, like you could still, you could go on Johnny Carson and, you know, 
not get invited over yeah, to the not couch, get invited, not to, the get couch, invited yeah. to come back a second time. Like it's possible. And I think that it's just when I take all the magic away and all the stuff that, that I romanticized as a kid and just think about like, these are just people telling jokes. It's so much easier to see everything as a work in yeah. progress. Nothing is uh, completed. I was watching an old Bernie Mac thing on, on, uh, on YouTube last night. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this, this, like Bernie Mac, I'm a huge fan of. This particular special, man, it sucks. I don't like this one at all. Uh, and so I just think that, like, I don't know, it kind of takes the pressure off of, like, not everything I produce has to be perfect. It can just be, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and move on to the next thing. And that's what, that's what you have to do. And I, I think... I think when you get to a point within the industry, you do start to see that, yep, like some of those things aren't going to work. When I started uh, having stuff on Funny or Die, I remember I, I was always like trying to track and see how, how it was doing. And it's like every so often a die vote would come in. And at first it was just like, what the, what the fuck? What is wrong with that person? And then I, like after the first few, I realized... Will Ferrell and Adam McKay have videos up on here that <laughs> are like 80% yeah, that doesn't die. Me at all. That doesn't help me at all. I get mad at every single yeah. down vote. I'm like, I take it all personally. <laughs> I think, I think of like, why would you leave a, com I've never once left a negative comment on anything in my life. I've never felt strongly yeah. enough. I'm like, why would you do this? <laughs> Just move on <laughs> with your day. I don't need your opinion. God. Someone even like was like complimenting me. It was like a Facebook friend on a video that I posted and they were like, Oh man, your recovery from that one that one joke is amazing. And I immediately was like, What do you mean recovery? What do you think that I had something to recover from? <laughs> do you think that like I wasn't do, you don't think that joke hit? Fuck you. <laughs> like, like immediately so mad about it immediately i'm so hard on myself but the second someone else is hard on me i'm like fuck off yeah, <laughs> yeah it was they, they were hurting me at first and then yeah when i realized that it's like the entire reason i wanted to even work with this side is because of will and adam and mm -hmm. when i see that they have stuff that's continually like bombing too i was like oh, okay i can i cannot be so precious about this but some of the comments i have just like they make me laugh so hard. I refuse to ever comment back. Uh -huh. But no, the, I always, you <laughs> I love, I love to just like their comments. Yeah. Like, especially on Facebook when it'll say like, they're like commenting on some, uh, video and they're just like, man, Aaron Woodall sucks. I love to just <laughs> like their comments. So they get a little notification. That's like Aaron Woodall yeah. <laughs> likes your comment. <laughs> and I'll, I'll do that. I started doing that too. Or I would retweet them because I saw Michael yeah. Ian Black would always just like for the longest time he was retweeting anybody that would talk shit. <laughs> and I had a string of, of them <laughs> and I, and I talked about them on here before, but because my name is the same as a comic book character, mm. people would attack me randomly on Twitter thinking that I had like stolen the name. I was like, it's my fucking name. <laughs> but every time I would get attacked, I would just retweet it. Cause it just, it cracked me up because yeah, I was man. just like, man, people are just coming at me and for no reason whatsoever. So VidAngel recently put uh, clips of mine on Facebook and on YouTube and started like promoting them just like a few weeks ago. And these are the comments that I've been reading. It's like on from there because it's got, you know, it's like got like thousands yeah. of views and like a thousand comments or whatever. And, uh, and they are just killing me. I, I cannot stand people that want clean comedy. They're all the worst people in the world. 
<laughs> they're all so dumb and so bad. So I had this joke about like a quote, it's an inspirational quote that I'm like, that's not inspirational. It's the whole, that's the whole premise of the joke. And the quote is, isn't it amazing that every morning you get to wake up and remember who you are? And I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. And I do all, and then I do like eight minutes on this, yeah. right? And like the the top comment is like, well, I think people whose uh, family members have Alzheimer's really appreciate it when they <laughs> remember who they are. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, first of all, this girl clearly doesn't know anyone with Alzheimer's. She saw the Notebook and uh, it's like, or 51st dates yeah. or something like that. And it's just like, it's beautiful. I'm like, that quote's not about people with Alzheimer's, all right? It's trying to, insp- like, and if you if you had someone with Alzheimer's and you, like, gave them that calendar quote, like, that's that's a shitty uh, yeah. thing to do. Um, do you remember, Grandma? Remember? Yeah. It's going to be the best part of your day, Grandma, if you can. If you can just fucking remember, Grandma. I was just like, no. And then. And then uh, someone else asked, like, was was the Saddam Hussein part a joke? Because I don't think he was performing for an audience of Muslims, which I don't know how to give you the context to explain <laughs> what he meant. But I was just like, yeah, man, the Saddam Hussein part was a joke. All of the parts were jokes. It's a, it's a joke. It, Everything. It's, it's a comedy special. I didn't do like eight <laughs> minutes of like of, of material. And then at the end, like real serious. I just want to talk about Saddam Hussein for a second. <laughs> do, do, do you guys all remember that hole he was hiding? Yeah. Exactly. yeah uh, this is all serious now. <laughs> my, my, my father too was found in a hole. And uh, Wait, Have you seen this bit that I've done? No, I haven't. Because I talk about the hole. <laughs> I say that. I say verbatim. Remember the hole. <laughs> Remember when we found him in a hole? <laughs> now, so now I'm gonna have to go back and find this the whole, bit. The bit, like the bit, is like it turns into like how Saddam, who's like, because then the quote, the inspirational quotes unknown, and most inspirational quotes say unknown. Yeah. And then I'm just like Saddam Hussein is the one who said all these quotes, and that's why we just like have erased him. Yeah. And so then I'm like, remember when we pulled him out of that hole and his hair was like crazy and, and we were all making fun of him and he was just like, uh, if you cannot handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And that's the joke. It's just silly. It's just dumb. And this guy's like, was that, was he being serious? Because I don't think Saddam Hussein would say something like that. And they're like, you guys don't actually want stand-up comedy. You don't want it. I like, they they like, I I host for VidAngel all the time. So I and I'm very familiar with Provo audiences in general, and I just hate anything that's advertised as clean comedy because you're not attracting fans of stand-up comedy. You're attracting people that have never watched stand-up comedy, that don't know what it is, that just want clean inoffensive uh mind-numbing material they don't want to have to think they don't want to have to like be the butt of any jokes they don't want to have to have any bad feelings they just want and i'm like well that's not what stand-up is man you're not this isn't what you want this isn't what you're looking for go somewhere (laughs) else that it's why i didn't listen to brian regan for the longest time is nobody nobody would ever tell me he was funny the response i would always get is (laughs) He's so clean. And I was like, 
cool. Is he funny though? No, well, oh, he, he's just such a clean con. And that was all that I would ever oh. hear. And so I refused to listen to him. People would be like, oh, you, you like comedy. Do you like Brian Regan? And I'd just be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and now I love Brian Regan. Yeah. He's, fan- he's yeah, amazing. He's fantastic. He's but amazing. it was because for the longest time, people no, just I gave totally the. I get that. I get oh, that. He's, yeah. he's so clean. Because it's and like, so I've got a, I've got, I was, I'm so passionate when it comes to talking about clean comedy. <laughs> because like growing up here, we're not, I didn't grow up here, but living here in Utah for so long, doing comp, growing up comedy wise here, growing up Mormon, I think is what I was going to say. Um, I just, oh, they have so much. People equate c- clean with good and clean with smart. Like there's this myth that like if you're vulgar, it's because you're too dumb to uh, to be clean. Yeah. And like and they're like Brian Regan's just smarter than everyone. Uh, and I just uh, you're just you couldn't be more wrong. You yeah. could not be more wrong. Uh, first of all, all of stand up is hard. Period. All of stand up is hard. And there are clean comedians who are suck at it, and there are dirty comedians who suck at it, and then there are both that are great at it. You know, like to 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 uh, insinuate that like uh, Chris Rock isn't smart or clever because he swears. Yeah, I'm like, and he's yeah. one of the most brilliant comedy minds yeah. ever. It's just so dumb. It's so dumb, and like. Uh, they're all my mom would always like send me newspaper articles. She like clip literally clip out physical articles and mail them <laughs> to me when like Deseret News or whatever publication was like writing an article about clean comedy, which happens like I feel like every year yeah. they produce something. It's about like, did you know that people can be funny and clean? There was and, literally just a thing about Studio C that they did on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they just pat themselves on the back. We're so smart because we're clean. Anyway. In this one, in this one article, uh, they'd interviewed Jim Gaffigan, and his contempt for the questions are so clear. Yeah, and they don't get it. Like they're putting all these quotes in the article, but I'm like, can't you see? Like he does not want to be called a clean comedian. His and first he, album has a parental that, advisory on yeah. it. Yeah, he's gotten cleaners. He's gotten. Yeah. and he talks about that, but he doesn't like the the label clean comedian. He doesn't want to be a clean comedian. He's a comedian. Yeah, he's funny. He's good. That's it. He's also because like no one when I started out I was very clean and as I like no one ever came up to me after a show and was like I loved how clean you were. They don't notice. Yeah. No one notices. They're just all they care about is if you're funny and they're funny. They laugh hard and they don't like aren't like uh, wow. He never like I don't know the other the other myth in these articles in this narrative that these Mormons create for themselves is that like, it's this us against the world thing. And like in the world, they, they want you to be dirty as a comedian. Yeah. So the question, <laughs> like I got interviewed a couple of times, you know, and the question posed to me was like, how do you manage to stay clean and stick to your values in the war, in the dirty world of stand up <laughs> comedy? Have you ever been pressured to be dirtier? And I was like, you don't know, understand anything. No one in comedy is pressuring anyone to be dirty. There's no, it's like, I feel like it's like this like dare video and like, Hey man, come here, try these drugs to be cool. Like they think that the comics in the back of the room, like, yeah, you're pretty funny, but you know, be real cool. This is your comedy. (laughs) This is your comedy on dirt. Yeah. (laughs) If you would just, why don't you say cunt on stage? Why don't you try that out, man? And you're like, 
No one does that. If anything, you, I've got I've adva- I advanced faster than my peers because I was clean. There's so many other doors open for you if you're clean. Most comics are like like a oh, man. I gotta work clean. Like that's it, the the pressure is in the opposite direction. You'll I bet you'll have people like you know mentors like older comedians or club owners or bookers being like, "Hey man, you're good, but I need you to write like a clean 15." You know, I need if you wrote a clean 15, like they pressure you to be clean. But in in the mind of Deseret News and like yeah. BYU TV viewership, they're like, only only we have clean comedy. Everyone else wants us to be so dirty and filthy and yuck. And it's just I, true. I, I remember when I was uh, there was a class that Second City had offered with The Onion. Oh yeah, um, that I took with uh, and Scott. God, I want to write for the Onion. That's yeah. my dream job. I want to write for the Onion or Click Hole. Or, yeah, oh, anything. Yeah, Scott Scott Dickers, who uh, founded the Onion, was the one who was who was my teacher for it. Cool. And which I mean, he opened my eyes. Like I had finally started getting some regular writing jobs, and I was like, I can do this. And then I loved his feedback because half the time it was just like, "This is shit. Where's your subtext? What what's going?" And I was just like, "I fucking love you, Scott," because it's like. He opened my eyes to so much, but I'll never forget one of his lectures was going through the different degrees of comedy, starting with super clean and going to where, yeah, you can get really vulgar. But basically it was comparing that it kind of went up the intelligence spectrum (laughs) with it. It was just like, as you start getting into more things that are more divisive and more political or or any of that, it takes a higher mindset. Mm -hmm. Like you do any joke about Anthony Weiner or something like that. People are going to be like, Oh, that's a filthy joke. But it's like, it's literally the news. Like I, I I had written a piece on, um, on funny or die. Uh, that it's called uh, the five reasons why we, the Christian Republicans kicked Jesus out of Christianity (laughs) and the five steps. It actually breaks down all things from the Bible. I even quote the Bible in it. And this guy comments, and I want to say he commented it through Reddit, and was just like, so amateur, clearly somebody who's never read the Bible. <laughs> and I took everything in me not to respond, because I wanted to be like, motherfucker, those are literally quotes from the Bible. Yeah. Like, I copied and pasted them from the online Bible. <laughs> uh, the online Bible. <laughs> like, it's like, there's the King James, <laughs> there's, there's the, the Gideon, James. and then there's the online Bible. <laughs> And then there's the wiki one, but we don't like to talk about that one. <laughs> Anybody can add anything to do you it. Remember, do you remember the original Mission Impossible? I love that movie. Yeah. 1995, I yeah. think, Tom Cruise. And it's like, I first of all, I love early depictions of the internet in, in movies. Any early depiction of the internet in like that mid, early 90s, even late 90s, is just hilarious. Yeah. But there's like... Uh, the the scene where he's like on the internet just going to all the bible chat rooms yeah. and just sending a message to job 314 <laughs> and every single is just like i'm like that's not I'm just like oh, i'll send a message there online bible there was a, there were, even in 1995 there were 28 different online bible chat rooms and he's just like sending messages that's to, funny one of these will be the secret uh, arms dealer <laughs> So what one thing I am curious about because I, I'm I'm sure we've both kind of had the well, same. Can I say one yeah. one more thing? But for, first, like I still don't subscribe to the fact that like that like going dirtier is smarter either. I think that there are different kinds of intelligence. Like I think uh, like uh, 
to, to dance around something without ever saying it requires a great deal of skill. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and intelligence. And like, like that fart sketch you're talking yeah. about. Like, I wish I could have seen it because that sounds so smart. I think that's very, very cool. And it's like, that's a, that's craftsmanship right there. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's also like to take something so dark. If you're going to like talk about like rape or like being like molested as a kid and you can make people laugh at that, if you can take them to somewhere like so dark and awful and make them like, you know, laugh at it. That's incredibly skillful. Yeah. That's incredibly intelligent. So there's like on either end of the spectrum, if you want to be good, you have to be smart. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what kind of language you use or what subject matter you talk about. It just stand up is hard and you ha- it, to be good at it. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you clarified yeah. that. Yeah. Cause we did kind of gloss over yeah, that yeah, after yeah. kind of going through the onion thing there. But yeah. And, and that's even what Scott was getting to with that was, yeah. People that do just kind of, you know, if, if they just want to be like, shit, come motherfucker, like just stupid mm-hmm. things like that, where they are just trying to be dirty. Yeah. Like, yeah they're going to bomb and fail every single time. It absolutely takes being, being a craftsman and a wordsmith when it comes. I mean, you, you look at the things that the onion writes and there's a reason that a single sentence, a single headline can just crush and it can be, you know, way on the clean side or way on the, you know, on the darker, possibly dirty side, but it's smart and it has good subtext and good context. And that, and that, that's what sells it. It's all within the craftsman. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you wrapped that back around <laughs> since we kind of left that oh, open yeah. there. All right, yeah, go ahead. What so, but, but what, what I was, what I was curious on, because we both kind of came from the same background of being raised Mormon. Mm-hmm. So both of us have definitely separated from, yeah. <laughs> from that nature. Going towards comedy, what was it that initially kind of grabbed you with it and drug you, drug you into comedy? Because I know, I know for me, I didn't realize until maybe my mid twenties that oh, I could, I could do this as a career. Like I, I didn't, I had always kind of dabbled in different things, but never really thought anything of it. Uh, similar thing, man. I, I think I've always known deep down that this is what I wanted. And too scared to admit it, or just been like, that's a silly dream. Yeah. You know, like how many people get on SNL? Like how many people in the history of SNL? Like how, how many cast members have there been? Like how could I ever get on that? You know, uh, but yeah, like as a kid, I was watching SNL every single weekend and memorizing sketches and then repeating them at school. And like <laughs> I was doing all this stuff that, like, I look back now and I'm like, it was so silly to deny my. I don't know my character. Like what? Mm. Are, like like that's who. Like being a comedian is who I am. Yeah. It's who I was always meant to be. And I just and I was just too scared to accept it for a long time. And so I um, I was at BYU. They had this club, and my wife uh, really had to encourage me to go out for it. She was like, "You should do it. I'll support you. You should do it." And I was just like, using, it was such a dumb excuse now. And I think about it, I was just like, well, I have a job after class. I can't make, I can't go to practices and meetings if I'm working. Like what a yeah. dumb, stupid excuse that was. And she encouraged me to go out like, and I did uh, like my first like open mic there and I crushed. And like, I just, I was like, oh, I'm good at this. And like, I got better like the years that I spent at BYU and, uh, it over humor you overtook everything that I was studying 
I didn't, I didn't give a shit about any, I couldn't pick a major. I was like bouncing around from major to major because I was just like, this is fun to learn, but I don't like these jobs. I don't want to do that job. Mm -hmm. I don't do that job. And I was just like failing class. Like I was skipping class to work on humor use stuff. And like, uh, I wouldn't do homework, but I would write jokes. And still I was looking for my career and what it would be. And I still was too scared to admit to myself that this was what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I graduated, I had a job offer. I only had, I only applied for one job. They all, they were like, okay, you're you're hired if you want it. And I spent two weeks trying to decide if I was going to take it or if I was going to do comedy. And uh, when I find like I just had this knot in my stomach, man. When I finally was like, and again, my wife was so supportive, and uh, I was like, I this is what I want to try to do. I want to try to do stand up comedy, even if I fail. Like I feel like I have to go give it five years at least to know that otherwise I'll spend the rest of my life, you know, wondering if I yeah. could have done it. And so it wasn't until I took that jump, you know, that uh, I realized it was so dumb that I wasted so much time. I wish I had dropped out of school and moved <laughs> to New York. You know, I wish that I had, because uh, now I have a degree in Italian, like that costs a bunch of money. Like what am I doing with it? You know, yeah. I wish I had just, uh, just dove straight into to comedy and like started following this path because I feel like, I don't want to use corny words like destiny or something, but I just feel like there's something inside of me my soul like knew this is what this makes me happy everything about this i love and like think like i was always drawn to watch comedy i always loved watching it i remember uh as a teenager there was a club in baltimore that like you didn't have to be 21 you could uh uh you could go and i was like the first time i went and watched stand-up comedy and uh i would drive my friends all the way out to baltimore to go watch this and it's like it was always there, man. You all, your heart always wanted to be here. And it just, our fears get in the way. We, I was like, I've got to provide for a family and I've got to, you know, be the responsible man. I should get a, a steady job and stuff. And it was just all fear-based. Yeah. And it was because you, you knew that the stigma of the area was, was you needed to, work the nine to five. You needed to have the house with the white picket fence and within the next five years have five kids. And yeah. Yeah. I mean like, uh, I just, I love, love, love being a dad. It's the all like, Oh, I've got a, I've got a four year old is almost going to turn five in January. Uh, and I love him to death. And like, I told my wife several times, I was like, I would be a stay at home dad in a heartbeat. If you had if you had a career like you wanted to pursue and stuff, I'd be a stay at home dad, absolutely. Yeah. And I so like, and that's something innate. I feel like there's definitely a bunch of the culture that it, it influenced that, but there was still that innate desire. Like I want to take care of my kids, you know. But like, I let that. Like I just don't want to put too much pressure mm-hmm. on, like, or put too much blame on like the outside culture. Yeah. Because I think the blame really lies with me. I just let my own fears of failing and failing my son. I was like, okay, well then I'll just, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, my son to, to be poverty stricken because his dad chased a stupid dream. Yeah. <laughs> I should, I should work hard and put my head down and just go to work, you know? And that wasn't, 
really about my son though. That was about me being too scared to fail. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it sucks when you reach those points when you don't know if you should take that chance on yourself, but there's nothing better than taking a chance on yourself. God, Tim, I feel, uh, lately, like I've turned a corner in my comedy because you do just suck for a long time Yeah, for a really long time. And I just turned this corner where it's like suddenly I'm feeling positive about myself for the very first time. Like rather than beating myself up after shows, I like have sets where I'm like, I killed it. And I'm at like, I'm getting feedback from other comedians and stuff where I'm like starting to believe how good I am. Where I've just, I'm like always been like, nah, I'm not not that great. And now I'm like believing in myself and it's so corny, but (laughs) it feels so good where I'm like, I can make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Feels good to say. Sorry, I said. I just wanted to, you know, the power of repetition. Yeah. <laughs> no, it it it's good. No, I mean, I, I think it's. I think. I mean, we're we're at our hour here, and I think it's a good note to kind of to kind of end on with that. Hell so, yeah. I mean, it's 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 good to be able to have that faith in yourself can't, and find. I that. can't wait to listen to this podcast <laughs> in twenty years when I'm a nobody and like just living just and like with like three other dudes in Los Angeles and are just listening to me like I'm gonna make it. <laughs> you just play it on repeat with the rest of your roommates let's all say it together guys we're gonna make it <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad that i had the chance to to get you on before i before i take off and yeah man. i mean li- literally at this point less than 48 hours so. yeah, i really i really yeah. came in under the yeah in, 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 for, in about 48 hours i will be moving into my place in la so. damn man <laughs> Thanks for taking the time out to do one last podcast with me, man. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was like, there, there's, there's a couple people I just need to try and squeeze, squeeze in, and I was just like, I've got to get Aaron before I, before I leave. So I'm. Thanks, man. That makes I'm, I'm glad that I could. I'm glad that I could get you in. So, uh, where can everybody find you on social media? Um, AaronWoodall.com is my website, and you can get links to everything else there. Perfect. Like links to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm most. I do most of my funny stuff on Facebook. I'm just that generation you know <laughs> i was like the original facebook yeah. generation and i don't want to give it up so <laughs> anyway yeah you can find aaron woodall comedy is like the facebook it's like facebook.com slash aaron woodall comedy and uh and aaron woodall.com is where you'll find a bunch of stuff cool. yeah and, w- and when does the vid angel uh, special come out vid angel's already up and streaming. Oh, that's up now. it's okay. up and streaming if you went to if you go to like drybarcomedy.com or vidangel.com you can uh, uh, sign up. They'll give you like a month for free. You can watch my video, leave a tip for me, and then uh, and then cancel your subscription. <laughs> or watch Billy's too. I don't give a fuck. I don't know. I just want my money. <laughs> um, I've got... Uh, and then hopefully I'm releasing a, a, a special on my own on iTunes uh, called Woodall Alone. That's all my... It's on my divorce story. Awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Well, again, thank you. And, you know, hopefully we'll see you in LA soon here. Yeah, I hope so, dude. Cool. We'll see you.